Hey creeps, I'm Taylor and this is TGI Crime Day Spooky Season. Hello and welcome to TGI Crime Day. Today's episode is another spooky season topic. If you are new to this podcast, it's usually true crime, but for Halloween, I'm talking about all things spooky, haunted, unexplained, everything in that kind of vein. Speaking of which, if you have a ghost story, hometown urban legend, or anything in that realm of spookiness, please tell me your story in an email. I am really hoping to start doing listener files episodes and reading your emails on future episodes, so send those to tgicrimeday at gmail.com. I was in Paris a couple of weeks ago, and one of my favorite things to do while traveling is go on spooky history tours. Of course, I wanted to learn the dark and creepy parts of Paris, so I went on a tour through Airbnb Experiences, which I will link in the episode description, so if you're ever in Paris and you need something spooky to do, you can take this same tour. My tour guide's name was Matt, and he was absolutely fabulous. We had the best time, and he was really nice when I was taking notes on my phone the whole time, like a creep. So, the stories I've got for you today are mostly from what I learned on the tour with some investigoogling to fill in the blanks that I might have missed. Paris may be known as the City of Lights, but sheesh, they have some dark history. The first stop on our spooky tour is Notre Dame. Construction on the Notre Dame Cathedral started in 1163, and it took almost 200 years to complete. The cathedral is dedicated to the Virgin Mary and is said to be one of the most perfect examples of French Gothic architecture. Construction was started by Bishop Maurice de Sully and was meant to be the greatest church ever built, which meant that the best of the best would be hired for this project. Also, as always, when I am talking about places that are not America, please excuse my pronunciation. I swear to you, I'm trying my best, but I will simply not do great, okay? I'm just, I'm trying my best. One of the most talented iron workers of the time was a man named Biscornay, and he was hired to design the beautiful, intricate metalwork that would welcome worshippers through the front doors of the cathedral. Biscornay was thrilled for this incredible opportunity and got to work right away. He created draft after draft and pitched idea after idea, only to have all of the ideas rejected. The young iron worker was so devastated at his failures and had begun to run out of ideas, so he began to pray. Finally, an idea struck him. Biscorny went to work creating the incredible metalwork. He worked for hours on end until he was so exhausted, he fell down in front of the doors. At last, it was finished. The morning after the project was completed, when the people of Paris saw this door, they were shocked. No one could believe that Biscorny had finished this project so quickly and that the work was almost too good. No one had ever been able to manipulate iron the way that Biscorny had. Because it was the 1200s and the Catholic Church ruled everything, rumors started to swarm through the city. The people believed that there was no way Biscorny could have done this on his own. No one was that talented. It had to be the devil. After all, he had been begging the heavens to send him an answer that the church would like, to no avail. Then he finally got an answer from someone maybe he hadn't expected, the devil. Rumors flew that Biscorny had sold his soul to the devil to make these doors, and that point was solidified in people's minds when the doors allegedly wouldn't open until holy water was sprinkled on the locks and then they popped right open. Things were only made worse when Biscorny died suddenly not long after completing the project. Maybe it was from the stress of the entire community of accusing him of spinning iron with Satan. Just saying. But they didn't believe that. They believed that the only explanation was that Satan had taken him 
as was promised when he completed the doors. The longer the Parisians stared at the ironwork and spread their whispered suspicions, the more alleged signs they saw. The swirling signs on the doors suddenly took the shape of 666, the number of the beast. And even his name was broken down as evidence that he had sold his soul, Biscorny. Bis meaning two or twice, and cornet meaning horn. They decided that this had to have been a sign of the two-horned one. These doors have been nicknamed the Devil Doors, and this spooky legend makes them even more interesting than just the incredible ironwork. Notre Dame has plenty of spooky stories like that one, and some of them are more gruesome than others. One of them is the story of the Lady of Notre Dame ghost. One rainy day in October of 1884, a young woman was pacing the grounds outside the Notre Dame Cathedral like she was waiting for someone. There was a rule back in those times that a woman couldn't climb the stairs up to the roof alone. They had to have a chaperone. An old woman agreed to take her all the way up the 300 steps to the bell tower. When they reached the top, the young woman allegedly ran and threw herself from the top of the bell tower. Unfortunately, this young woman did not survive the fall, and to make this horrifying death even worse, she had landed on the spiked fence surrounding the cathedral, which left her body in a terrible, gruesome state. They left her mangled body outside the cathedral, hoping someone would walk by and recognize her, but she remained unidentified for days. There were witnesses who saw her go up the stairs with the old woman, but when the police later tried to find this woman and question her about exactly what had happened, the old woman was nowhere to be found. Some people believed she was an evil spirit who had convinced the young woman to jump to her death. People say that if you are outside the cathedral between 1 and 3 a.m., you might catch a glimpse of the ghost of the young woman floating around the grounds. Apparently, the police headquarters are located across the street from the cathedral, and there have been times when an officer looks out the window late at night and sees movement in the area near the bell tower. The police are required to go and check it out anytime something strange might be happening on the cathedral grounds. And many times, they have found teenagers that have broken into the cathedral on a dare, things like that. But there have been a handful of times when they've gone over to investigate, climbed all the stairs up to the bell tower, only to find it empty. According to our tour guide, they added cameras in the 90s so that the police wouldn't have to keep going over and making a trek all the way up the 300 steps to the top of the bell tower, which I don't blame them. Supposedly, they've caught some spooky happenings on the cameras. As we all know, the fascination with all things morbid is not new. Paris in the 1800s was the prime example of this for many reasons, but one of the top ones is the existence of the Paris morgue as a tourist attraction. Yes, you heard me correctly. Not far from Notre Dame, on the banks of the Seine River, there was a morgue that was moved from its original location to a more convenient spot in 1864. This was done because the new location was a more modernized building, and it made it possible to have a tunnel system from the nearby hospital directly to the morgue, and also because it was easier to display the corpses that were pulled from the Seine River. It didn't start out as the most depressing tourist attraction ever. Originally, it was used to help identify bodies that were found in the streets or from the river. The idea was that the friends and family of the deceased would come to check the bodies and claim them. Very bleak and very tragic, but that's the way things had to be done pre-telephone. No one running the morgue could have imagined that it would become a tourist trap for the morbidly curious viewers. Unlike many Parisian entertainment options, the morgue was free, so people crowded around the macabre museum, shoving their way through crowds to get a glimpse of a corpse on display. The bodies were undressed, frozen, and then placed on a tilted marble slab behind a wall of glass. 
The clothing and other personal items found with the deceased were put on display next to them as help to identify people, I guess. Before 1882, when a refrigeration system was put in place, they used huge slabs of ice to keep the corpses as cold as possible. Basically, these slabs of ice would hang from the ceiling and drip cold water onto the corpses to preserve them. I can't imagine that worked super well, and the smell must have been awful. The morgue was open from dawn until 6 p.m. and drew crowds of 40,000 people per day on average. On days when there weren't very many bodies on display, people would be furious and loudly complain that there wasn't enough entertainment. On the other hand, if a particularly gruesome death had occurred, people would cram their way into the morgue to get a closer look at the disgusting scene. Sometimes the bodies on display would cause murderers to confess full of guilt for the crimes they'd committed. So I guess that's one sort of silver lining. To make things even more upsetting, the bodies that were unclaimed were sent to the cemetery or cremated, but their personal items would go into a gift shop where people could buy them as a souvenir on their way out. Yikes a bikes. Eventually, people caught on to the fact that it was probably pretty awful to take their children to see dead bodies on display, and also that it was insanely unsanitary, so the morgue closed down in 1907. Thank goodness. Stories like that are what make me shake my head when people act like millennials are weird for our fascination with true crime, like besties. We're watching Dateline, not buying souvenirs from a morgue gift shop, or paying to watch public executions, which we're going to talk about in a minute. Another very bleak and gruesome tale from Paris is the story that possibly inspired Sweeney Todd. Paris had its very own demon barber, and are we surprised that there was possibly more than one in the world? Absolutely not. In the 1300s, on a road called Rue de la Harpe, there were all kinds of businesses. Wedding chapels, boarding houses, brothels, butchers, bakers, candlestick makers, probably. And in the middle of all the hustle and bustle, there was a barber shop. This barber shop became incredibly well-known, not because of the cleanest shaven town, but because of all the murder. All the evil deeds happening in the confines of the barbershop were brought to light by a true hero, a loyal dog, of one of the many victims of the demon barber. One day, this dog was barking relentlessly outside the locked barbershop, and eventually the police were called to see what was going on. This was when the police discovered a dead body. The body was our hero dog's owner, who is usually unnamed, but sometimes called Klaus, so that's what we will call him for the rest of this story. Apparently, Klaus had been lured into the barber shop and then murdered. The legend goes that this barber would lure men into his chair, slit their throats, and then to get rid of the body, they would be dropped down a hidden chute that led to the cellar. To make things even more horrifying, if that's even possible, the barber shop shared a cellar space with the butcher next door. This butcher next door sold meat pies that were very popular in town. I will let you put together what the secret ingredient in those pies was. If the legends are true, the barber was convicted of four murders, but it's believed he could have committed as many as 200. The murderous pair was sentenced to death and executed at the crime scene. It's also said that the building was destroyed and the land was salted and blessed before they rebuilt on top of it, which seems like a good idea. Something absolutely bananas is that the butcher's chopping stone is still around today, and the building that was put on top of the site is now used as a police station. Our tour guide said that they will tease new officers by making them have the parking spot right next to the stone and tell them that it's haunted. There are definitely some pieces of truth to this story and some that are spooky urban legend details that make this such an interesting tale that has survived for generations. As I mentioned earlier, old-time Paris loved a guillotine viewing, especially if it was someone of celebrity status. During the French Revolution, the court tribunal convicted nearly 2,800 people and sent them to the guillotine in a span of only 718 days. 
Among these people was Marie Antoinette, the Queen of France. I feel like I could do a whole episode about Marie Antoinette because there's a lot to her story that gets glossed over, but very long story, very short. Marie Antoinette was an Austrian princess who was often unfortunately used as a pawn in the game of European diplomacy. At age 14, she was sent to marry the grandson of King Louis XV. The people of France were not thrilled about this because at the time, they were not super fond of Austria, and people made it very clear that Marie Antoinette was not wanted or accepted there. On top of that, her husband, Louis XVI, was not exactly interested in being a husband, and while they eventually went on to have children together, basically because they had to, because that's how monarchy works, they were never in love. It was all for business and never for pleasure, which is really sad when you think about it. Marie Antoinette lived a very lonely life and kind of created this tiny village inside the palace grounds in Versailles. Like any royal, she wasn't perfect and she ended up making friends with the only people who would befriend her. She was doing a lot of gambling and spending a ton of money and people were pissed. The story of Marie Antoinette is often dramatized and she's given a much bigger role in the French Revolution than she actually played. The role she did play was kind of thrown at her because King Louis XVI was very timid and she was like, okay, well, someone's got to get shit done. There's obviously so many layers to that and a ton of details, but that's the quickest, most boiled down way I can describe it without being on this subject for like an hour. One thing that's not exaggerated is how much people hated the queen. So the royal family went into hiding when the French Revolution began, and eventually they were captured when someone in town recognized them while they were eating at a restaurant in disguise. They obviously didn't go far and hide very well, but that's neither here nor there. The king and queen were sent to the Palace of Justice, where the concierge prison was. As I mentioned before, they were sending people to the guillotine like there was no tomorrow. Most people were only imprisoned for a few days and usually sentenced and put to death in the same day. However, Marie Antoinette spent months in prison. Her husband, King Louis XVI, was sentenced and beheaded in January of 1793, then she was put in solitary confinement until her tribunal on October 14, 1793. To put it simply, Marie Antoinette was convicted of treason and was sentenced to death. She was beheaded two days later and people were thrilled about it. Thousands of people attended the execution, including 30,000 soldiers who lined the streets yelling at her on her trip to the guillotine. As Marie Antoinette walked up the steps to the executioner's platform, she accidentally stepped on the executioner's foot, and her last words have said to be something along the lines of, beg your pardon, I didn't do it on purpose. As the blade of the guillotine fell, the crowd went wild. Absolutely horrific. The executioner held up Marie Antoinette's head yelling, long live the Republic. Marie Antoinette was unceremoniously thrown into an unmarked grave, and the urban legend goes that the executioner took the basket that was full of Marie Antoinette's blood and threw it out over the cheering crowd as if it were the Universal Studios production of Waterworld. Would it shock me if this was 100% true in this time period? Absolutely not. One more quick horrifying fact about Parisian guillotines. The last person executed by guillotine in France was in 1977. You heard me correctly, I did not misspeak, 1977. That was practically yesterday. That's a horrific story for another day. The Palace of Justice still stands today and is in use, but not as a prison. Today it's used as a courthouse. It's so bizarre visiting places that were built in the 1300s that have such a rich history with this gorgeous architecture that almost feel magical, but now it's just home to someone's like boring office and a broom closet. 
We just don't have buildings like that that are that old in America, so it's always fascinating to me. People from other countries are probably like, it's not that big of a deal, we have them everywhere. Anyway, with all the death and horrible things that happened in the walls of the concierge prison, it should come as no shock that it's super haunted. The story goes that one of the offices is very haunted with a very violent presence. People would walk in and suddenly get nosebleeds. Books fly off shelves, furniture moves. Most upsetting of all, four different men that worked in the office each died from heart attacks in the office building. Whether or not you believe the haunting, there's definitely something terrifying about the Palace of Justice, given its dark history. Just a 10-minute walk from the Louvre is a fountain marking the spot that was once the largest cemetery in Paris. All the way back in the 1100s, the specific area was where the town market was, and in the middle of this town square area was a cemetery that eventually became a site for mass graves. There would be up to 1,500 bodies per grave, and they would fill it until there was absolutely no more room. Then they would open a new hole and start the process all over again. For the next 300 years or so, they continued filling these graves to the point where the ground was so weak that the bones would start spilling into the cellars of the surrounding market. At that point, they realized that they needed more space to bury bodies, so in the 14th and 15th centuries, Citizens built charnel houses around the cemetery so that they could take the bones from the ground and store them in the charnel houses instead. Then they could refill the ground with mass graves and on and on this process went. This area became known for all kinds of things, from people committing murders in the middle of the night and just throwing the body into one of the mass graves, to rumors of vampires hiding their victims there. There was also alleged occult activity and evil spirits that would rise above the grounds of the cemetery. Eventually, in the 1700s, when King Louis XV reigned, he decided they needed to do something more about the cemetery since it was affecting the market. The unsanitary conditions of the cemetery were making it hard for people to conduct business in the area, which makes sense, so they came up with a plan to move the bodies. In September of 1780, after nearly 600 years of use, the cemetery was no longer allowed to be used, and they began the process of moving the bones to what is now the Paris Catacombs. As they dug out these mass graves and charnel houses, a job that sounds awful, they took the fat deposits at the bottom of the graves to make soap and candles a la Fight Club. At the end of the move, which took about 12 years, the number of skeletal remains moved was around 2 million bodies. There are about 6 million bodies in the Paris catacombs, and one-third of them comes from the Holy Innocents Cemetery. In 1787, the cemetery grounds were replaced with a new market, an herb garden, and a fountain was placed at the center. This fountain had originally been built in 1550 next to a nearby church, but was moved to mark the spot where the cemetery used to be. This fountain is now known as the Fountain of Innocence, and in modern-day Paris, this area is now a bustling city center with shops, restaurants, a place where I had the best crepes I've ever had in my life, and very fun nightlife. Again, it's so bizarre to go and see this fountain and hear this story. It's been there since 1550, marking the spot where there was a massive cemetery, but then you look around and there's like a Nike store and a McDonald's and a KFC. I'm, I wish I was kidding, but I'm not. That's literally what's there now. All right, you spooky babes, we have reached the end of our tour of some interesting spooky Paris history. I hope that you enjoyed this episode and maybe learned something new. Make sure you subscribe on YouTube and follow TGI Crime Day wherever you get your audio podcasts, and I will be back soon with part three of Urban Legends from Every State. That's what's coming up next. Thank you for hanging out with me. Keep it spooky, keep investigoogling, and I will talk to you soon. Bye.